You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. John Worth, I'm here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. I'm here with Jamie Lasanti. We are both in New York, so we said we would sit down and just have a grab bag of tennis chatter. We talk Coco Golf. We talk tennis in China, how tennis can avoid the perils of, of the NBA and what lessons can be learned there. We talk about Daniil Medvedev, some of the uh, off-court goings-on at the ATP and USTA. Just a broad tennis conversation in the middle of October as Coco Golf seems to be uh, losing her match in Europe. Hey, Jamie Lasanti. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I'm in town. You're in town. Let's uh, let's talk some tennis, shall we? We haven't done this in a while. We have not. Let's do it. It's mid-October. You know what? I'm going to actually timestamp this down to the minute. And uh, as we speak, Anna Blinkova has taken the first set over Coco Goff. Who knows if she can hold on to the lead? I don't know what kind of closer Anna Blinkova is, but uh, let's talk about her opponent. Let's talk about Coco, because that has been the story of the week in tennis, um, if not the month, if not this post-U.S. Open uh, stretch. She lost in the qualifying of Lintz and then got a lucky loser spot, came back and won the tournament. And uh, as somebody wrote to me, can you finally start hyping her? What do you think? Do we, do we finally start hyping Coco? Boy, she's making the most of her limited appearances here. I It's so hard. I mean, I think you have to remember, A, she's only 15, which can either be very good or very bad for the future. Uh, but as you said, she lost in qualifying to a player outside of the top 100. So I think we could be having a very different conversation right now if she doesn't get that lucky loser spot. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's how the that's how things go. And so she made the most of the situation. And I think, I mean... I don't know. She was playing against Ossipenko, who is a former French Open champion, but obviously has not done too much since then. But the way that she gathered herself and uh, kind of 
she talked her she way and steps. yeah, yeah. And, and talked her way or her father helped her talk her way out of her, her nerves a little bit. I, I think it's it bodes well for her just knowing that she can do something like that where she's up five oh and then all of a sudden it's 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 three five and she's getting nervous because she could win her first title. There is, to use the voguish word of podcasts and discussions, there's a lot to unpack there. A lot of unpacking going on in uh, our discourse I today. hate unpacking. Yeah, I know. I do too. But uh, you, you touched on a number of issues, and I think we can take them in any order. I mean, one of them is just, I can't get over 15 years old. And I say this as, uh, I just wrote this, as someone who has uh, a lot of familiarity with the <laughs> 15-year-old girl demographic and is very fond of it, they're wondering whether, you know, pomegranate Powerade tastes like Swedish fish. I mean, this is this is not an age that necessarily does global fame. It's a wonderful age, uh, great kids. But the notion of, of seeing, you know, my, my daughter on a global stage is, is very difficult to uh, to picture. Um, I think the fact that Coco is limited by these age eligibility rules that we've talked about a lot, but I do think that is an added dimension to this. I mean, you lose in the qualifying of Lintz and you say to yourself, boy, I may only have one more tournament left all year. That's really deflating. So when she gets that lucky loser spot and is back in the main draw, I think that is a reprieve um, that probably is a bit more intense and profound for her than it would be for a, a conventional player. And then you said it. I mean, I think, you know, we, we've seen prodigies before. We've seen teenagers. I mean, it, it predated me, but, you know, we all, we all know Jennifer Capriotti's story. And I think that was a lot just about physical maturity. And Jennifer Capriotti, the genetic god, smiled on her. And at age 14, she could hit a tennis ball really hard. And the player on the other side of the net probably um, wasn't as, as big as the average opponent today. And Jennifer Capriotti could hold her own just ball bashing, pow power to power. I mean, the, the Monica Sellis match at the U.S. Open is what everybody points to. With Coco Gauff, I think there's so much more to this. And I think that's one reason why we're all the more optimistic that this isn't just a power player. This isn't just someone who matured quickly physically. I think there's, there's nuance to her game. I think there is a real sort of composure it reminds me a lot of the, the taxonomy and the vocabulary we're using with Andrescu, where she just seems to have that it quality. And there's a very nice balance between self-confidence but humility, and there's a very nice balance within a match of how she can play a bad point, she can play a bad game, she can go 20 minutes and have a rough stretch and then regroup. We saw this at the U.S. Open. And I just, you know, I'm really torn, but I cannot get over 15. And I always quote Sloane Stevens, who I thought um, – was really terrific and really sensitive and wise on this and said, she's an amazing kid. She's a talented kid, but she is a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I got an email yesterday saying, Coco Goff will join tennis stars Andy Roddick and James Blake yeah. in the Bahamas. Yeah. And you sort of see the fame train coming. And I think that, um, you know, I mean, I, I think she seems to come from stable family that's not using her as the ATM. I think it's significant that she's represented by Tony Godsick, who doesn't, um, who's Roger Federer's agent with Team 8 and is not someone who's trying to make a name for himself and not someone who's trying to cash out on this prospect. I mean, I think that's really a, a significant point in this that um, probably shouldn't get lost. I think her management is responsible and mature and there's a track record, but also Tony Gossick doesn't need Coco Goff to play an exhibition in China to, to pay his mortgage. And I think that's something that is a little crass to discuss, but I think that bears mention in this. But um, yeah, I mean, I think honestly we're all trying to balance She's 15. We've seen this movie in tennis. Give her some space. Give her some time. Don't schlep her all over the world to cash in on exhibitions and photo shoots. But balance that with the fact that this is an extraordinary talent. And, you know, you mentioned Ostapenko. 
Coco Golf on her limited schedule is only a few spots lower in the ranking. Right. So Coco Golf, as, as we speak, is uh, I don't have the rankings in front of me. I think she's seventy one. Um, can we check that real quick? Sure. But uh, p- point being, she has now played herself into position where she won't have to rely on wild cards. I mean, never mind the Australian Open. I mean, she c- she can get into most tournaments with her ranking up. She is now down, I should say, to Anna Blinkova. Live time here, six four three love. So uh, she may be playing her last match of the season. Um, but it was an extraordinary week for her in Linz, and I think she she starts the year on on a very strong point. She is 71. I think the thing you say about her kind of having that short-term memory, whether it's during a match where she's able to turn something around, I think to Sloane Stevens' point on that, she she's very naive in that sense. You know, she really doesn't have the match experience to say, oh, man, right. I've been here before. Exactly. I mean, you look at someone like Serena who has now – you know, frozen up in finals and really like we see the nerves getting to her. I mean, think about all of the matches and all the situations that when Serena's, you know, standing there on the court, you know, about to serve or waiting for a serve, she's she's thinking about all of those hundreds of times that this has happened to her or that she's been in this situation. Sometimes she's, you know, that's helped her and she's gone on to win. For, for Coco Goff, she really only has a handful of those situations to reflect back on, or maybe she's not even thinking about them at all because mm-hmm. they're just not that significant. So I think that's important. Um, I just, one of the most interesting things with her is just the father-coach relationship. I think we had um, Amanda Anisimova on the, on the podcast, and, uh, you know, unfortunate situation that her father has now since passed away, but... Uh, but she talked about the relationship there and how, you know, I think she said he just he just gets me, right? And he just understands and he knows what to say. Um, and I think it was kind of, for me, I feel like it would be weird to have my father coaching me, you know, just sort of how you say it, it might be weird to picture your daughter on a global stage. It's just maybe something we can't relate to, but I find the father-coach relationship to be so interesting, especially given her age. Uh, and given the given just coaching in tennis, how it's constantly a rotating carousel uh, of people and and different figures. I, I would push back a little on that. Um, as the father of a daughter, that's a joke. Um, every, <laughs> every ever notice every remark that references uh, everyone has to identify themselves as a parent. No, I mean I I think you're right, and I think that this whole I mean there's a whole discussion we could be having about the strange role of the tennis coach. The flip side of that is 15 years old. I couldn't imagine sending my daughter off across oceans and not being there. And it's not, I mean, male, female, I mean, it's its not, um, I mean, obviously there, there's some sort of dark assumptions we can make, but, but quite apart from that, I mean, just from a 15-year-old going about her job and, and traveling uh, across the world, I couldn't imagine not being there. So I, I think, and you know, I don't know if you saw that clip where, where Corey Goffer, where the father, mm-hmm. you know, was very poised and measured and essentially right. said, you know, uh, I forget what he said. You know, we're, we're go gonna... back to the court in Florida. I mean, rem- right. pretend you're at. But this there was park. something about how we're, we're gonna we're gonna walk to the end. We're not gonna sprint. Right, just, right. Just, just calm yourself down and play this out. And I thought that was very sound advice. Um, I I think I mean the whole tennis coach is a very strange role, and sometimes you want Yvonne Lendl and you want a Hall of Fame player to motivate you and draw from experience. Other times, you just want someone familiar. I might talk, I don't know if you remember when, when Carolyn Wozniacki came in, we talked about that. And she's, you know, is, is her father a, a tennis expert? Was he? Did he win Wimbledon? No, but he knows what buttons to push. He's familiar. He knows sort of how to motivate her. And that that helps her. So um, I, I think that, um, I mean, again, I, th- I think a 15-year-old, it would it'd almost be weird if her parents weren't there. 
But um, I, I think that's a whole other dimension to this, that um, she she seems to be in a really supportive environment. And I think that one of the reasons we have these age eligibility rules is because there's a really messy track record in, in tennis and women's tennis in particular. Um, I think luckily for, for Coco Goff, that doesn't seem to be such a concern. I mean, again, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't think you can rewrite rule books and I don't think you can make exceptions, but it is it is heartening and it does make me feel a little bit better about talking about a 15-year-old, knowing that there does seem to be this very uh, supportive support network. Um, you know, she's, she's also top 100 in doubles. So uh, there, there's a lot, lot of optimism here, and, and it, it's early. I, I don't want to shoulder her with too much hype, but uh, very nice. Regardless of whether this Anna Blinkova match uh, f- finishes uh, adversely or favorably for Coco Goff, it's been a very good... Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. It's a great year, and I I think it's interesting when we, you know, turn the corner. We're into 2020, and now she's returning back. I think with Naomi Osaka even, we saw her returning back to sort of the site of her breakouts or, you know, the moment that she became the star coming back to the U.S. Open, and I think that is the first test for uh, players like Coco, who, I mean, she's had an incredible year. She goes back to Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. She goes back to the U.S. Open. And all this stuff comes up again. There's that element of pressure. And I think that's something, you know, again, it's it's with experience. I don't think you can, as much as her father is there and as much as she plays, I think experience is the only thing that's going to help her uh, get through those. So it'll be interesting to see how she navigates. I'll give you one more getaway thought. You know who, if I'm the Coco Golf camp, you know who I love right now? Bianca Andrescu, for a variety of reasons. One of them is uh, she, she just seems pretty cool. Um, no, but but uh, she she has really reset the model, and she's shown that teenagers can win majors, and she's also taken so, – so in a way, that, that sort of should be a source of inspiration. Look, you could be four or five years out of this. I mean, this whole 30 is the new 20, and, and I mean, that, that whole model has been changed. And the other thing is that Bianca Andrescu takes away some pressure that, look, there's, there's a 19-year-old who – you know, in 90 days from now, could be number one in the world. So great for Coco Goff, but let's remember that there's still a few levels she has to get to. So undress you, and it's sort of shield and sword, that on the one hand, she's she's taking some of the pressure away, and look, 71 is all well and good, but, you know, 
Bianca Andreescu right now is is what is is number number five, and the flip side of that is um, Bianca Andreescu shows that this is not fanciful that you don't need to wait ten years you don't need to wait until you're you know in your mid twenties like Simona Halep or or let alone playing at Serena's level so anyway nice uh, nice story in tennis um, the other thing I let's let's switch topics a little bit here because Coco Goff was playing in, in Europe but. Tennis also did its its swing through China, and it's no longer a swing. I mean, China is really now quite a base. I, I got a text this morning. Um, obviously, the NBA in China has been a, the story in sports in October. I mean, you barely know the baseball playoffs are going on. Um, even even the NFL games were were shrouded a bit by all of this controversy in China. And I, I wrote to a friend. I said, "You basically you you holding up okay?" And the response was along the lines of, "Boy, we can't wait for the regular. Can't wait to get home and for the regular season to start." Um, this has not been a, a great trip for the NBA to China. A lot of lessons learned. Um, uh, we've learned a lot about sort of where players' principles and priorities lie. Um, I we tie a sidebar, I mean, I think LeBron James did himself immeasurable damage in the last 48 hours. I mean, I, I think that was just, we're going to be talking about this for years and years and years, and I think he really undercut the moral authority he had, I think these were just huge missteps. And some of this was trolls and some of this is people who didn't like him anyway now have all, all the more reason to uh, to dislike him. But but I think this was incredibly inelegant and, and clumsy. Um, yeah. I can't believe he had a week and a half to prepare a hey, statement. That's what that's I was going to say. Yeah, that, that I was going to say is that the, the fact that he had so much time to prepare, it's not like it was, uh, you know— 10 minutes after the game exactly. and he was just uh, spewing words <laughs> out. I mean, he had time to really like— seriously remember something and write something and kind of recite it and it felt as you said very clumsy i also would say that daryl morey is probably one of the five most intelligent people i've spoken to in, in my capacity as a sports journalist um the idea that daryl morey wouldn't have the capacity to educate himself with an issue is um is, is a bit laughable but but no i but my, my point was the nba can say whoo that was a rough week thank gosh we're home and we're starting the regular season tennis doesn't have that luxury i mean tennis is really now um has has a very has a very secure relationship with China. There are more pro events in China than there are in the United States. The WTA is heading back for their year-end championships in Shenzhen. There are all sorts of partnership deals. Tennis got off very light. I mean, I don't know if any players were asked specifically about Hong Kong and, and separatist movements. The big controversy out of China was, did Roger Federer get a, a premature point penalty? And... Uh, who can stop the runaway train that is Medvedev were the, the storylines. Tennis really avoided um, some of these pitfalls that the NBA fell into. And I guess I'm wondering sort of how this plays out. If I were tennis and knew that China really figured into my plans, I, I think, look, the, the WTA in particular has been very aggressive about the, the Chinese market. Li Na, two-time major champion, came from China. I think this makes a lot of sense. I think this is very shrewd. I think there are a lot of businesses that would kill to have tennis's level of penetration in, in China. This is a monstrous market. More people, I always quote this, more people watch Li Na win the French Open than watch the Super Bowl. You, you, cannot not, you can't ignore a market like that. The flip side of that is what we saw is that some real perils to, uh, to, to dealing in this market. And I wonder what lessons tennis learns from this. And I also wonder, presumably, when, especially when the top eight players in women's tennis head to uh, Shenzhen in a few weeks, um, less than a few, you know, in whatever it is, 10 days, yeah. um, how this plays out. Do you, you have thoughts, Jane? Yeah, I think like the one thing we talk about all the time is what makes tennis different from the NBA and, and you know LeBron James and Lakers is that that is a team, right? And so you're on a team of a big group of people. And 
in reality, you can kind of hide behind that in a way. You know, they maybe they only they only ask LeBron, and you're the fifth guy down on the bench, and you don't really get asked about it. Or you know, but as a tennis player, we always talk about this. You are a sole proprietor. That's you and only you, and you have a team around you. But when you sit down, people are going to ask you questions, and then they're going to ask the next singular player questions, and they're going to you know, like you said, the top eight players are going to be there, and they're all going to be asked. And I think uh, that. Uh, if you are going to be or you think you're going to be one of those players, I think you should kind of take a lesson there uh, from from LeBron in that situation and, and figure out what it is your stance or position is. Um, I think sometimes tennis players really dodge those type of questions uh, in press conferences. Uh, so we'll, it'll be interesting to see. I, we'll see. I don't know if you've seen also where, where Shenzhen is on a map and where the, I mean, this stadium, there were literally tanks in the adjacent stadium prepared to go into to, to Hong Kong to uh, subdue protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting situation, and I think I, I think that's a good point. I, mean, I think individual athletes have a different dynamic here, and you hate when athletes punt on issues, especially athletes that otherwise are, are outspoken and, and have opinions, but sometimes you just don't have an opinion. Sometimes you just don't want to go there. Right. And we saw with LeBron James – when you don't have a position, if, if he had just said, listen, I, I basketball questions only, I don't want to go there, it might have come off as cowardly, but it wouldn't have done a fraction of the damage that that incredibly clumsy, inelegant uh, answer we got the other day did. Um, and, you know, and I, I mean, Serena Williams is someone, I mean, a lot of players, ha- they have business interests in China. Naomi Osaka could probably fairly be asked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm the WTA, I've got a real strategy here because this could go south in a hurry. And I think, I mean, the the other thing, there was a news item, I don't know if you saw, there, are you on these, I don't know if you're on these emails, um, kind of strange, there, there's a new, I, I don't have the name of it handy, but there's a new cup in Saudi Arabia, and Stan Wawrinka and Daniil Medvedev are among the players who will be playing in Saudi Arabia. It's not the same thing as China, it doesn't have the, the visuals of the Hong Kong protesters, it doesn't have leaders publicly saying that protesters uh, will, will be, their, their bones will be ground to dust which is one of the the, the quotes coming uh, out, out of the Communist Party, Party in China. But, you know, Saudi Arabia has some, some issues. And right. we've talked about how they've, we talked before about how they've, they're using sports to uh, sports wash, as, as we call it, to right. uh, sort of sanitize um, the the culture there and perceptions of Saudi Arabia. Stan Wawrinka probably needs to answer some questions about whether he's comfortable and, and what reservations he may or may not have playing this event. And it, I mean, I... I sort of go, I just wrote this in the mailbag, but it reminds me a lot about this free speech debate we talk about. And you write something about Margaret Court and somebody says, she's entitled to her opinion. And you say, absolutely, she's entitled Mm -hmm. to her opinion. But she's not shielded from consequence. And I think the same thing is true here. NBA can make whatever it is, $500 million off this this 10 cent deal. Players can play exhibitions in in Saudi Arabia. The WTA can hold a dozen events in China, including this this wildly lucrative year-end championships that's the global economy. That's open markets. But you don't necessarily have shelter from all of the sticky issues that, that go with free trade. And that's something I think, I mean, the, the WTA, the, the NBA is seldom the, the canary in the coal mine. I mean, usually the NBA is the one that's making the savvy moves. But if I'm tennis, I am paying very close attention to this absolute catastrophe with the NBA in China. And I am uh, coming up with some best practices based on, on basketball's missteps. Not something you, you often hear. No, I mean, NBA is one of the most innovative, if not the most innovative. Uh, we talk about it often, what what tennis can learn from mm-hmm. other sports. And a lot of times we're referencing the NBA. 
Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, the year-end championship should be interesting. We still have a few more spots to shake out. Um, I was going to ask you, do you think – I think Serena is right on that cusp. She has not been there since 2014 or something. She also has not played since the U.S. Open. Exactly. Uh, She's not going if she makes the cut. I've heard a rumor. Uh, no, I mean, I, I hear that there is a lot of pressure being put on Serena Williams to play this event. She is, just despite her ranking and despite the fact that she hasn't won <laughs> a major in almost three years, I mean, she's the signature player in women's tennis. Yeah. And this is the first year this event's going to be in Shenzhen. There is a lot of prize money. I mean, there, there's a phenomenal amount of prize money on the line. Um, Gemdale's trying to complete the stadium. I don't think they're going to get it done. But um, this is a big move for the WTA, and not having the biggest star would be a bit of a blow. I think there's a lot of pressure being put on Serena Williams. Um, I do care carrot and stick. I don't think she's going to show up. I mean, she's she's uh, she's deep into her 30s and and has a child, and historically has shut it down after the U.S. Open. And if that prolongs her career, she's more than entitled to to make the schedule she wants. But I I do know that there is a lot of pressure being put on Serena Williams. The only thing, I mean, you look at the rankings, and as of now, she's nine. She's an alternate. So um, I, I can't imagine she's crossing the Pacific hmm. um, and doesn't even get a guarantee to play. So we'll see how that shakes out. But I know that um, they're, the, the, the WTA would like her to be here, put it that way. Um, let's switch gears to a, a happier note, also kind of in China, but, uh, the, the summer of Daniil, the, the summer slash fall of Daniil Medvedev continues. Uh, summer has bled into fall. He has not cooled off. Um, I just think this is one of the remarkable runs in tennis of, of any player. I mean, never, never mind outside the big four. I mean, this is just, he, he lost in the first round of the French Open. I remember that it was a five set match to, uh, Pierre, uh, use bear. Um, he lost. I think in the third round of Wimbledon to go fan. And you remember he, he got to the finals of Washington, D.C. and lost that kooky match to Nick Kyrgios. It did not seem, in retrospect, that is a fairly sizable upset. That's a great win for Nick Kyrgios, beating <laughs> Medvedev on hard courts. Uh, that's that's his best win. Uh, this, is, this is the guy who's beaten, you know, Federer Nadal and Djokovic. That's a great win for Nick Kyrgios. And since that match in D.C., um, this guy's lost twice, both times in the doll, and I think has suddenly become the best player never to have won a major. He's won 59 matches on the year. And I'm not sure that, yeah, I, I think one thing that's interesting about Medvedev is I, I'm not sure this guy's been completely figured out yet by, by anyone, not by the media. So, suddenly he's become this media darling. And I think uh, <laughs> I've never seen anyone go, just as I've never seen anyone uh, go from sort of a, a marginal top 10 player who lost in the first round of a major to the hottest player in tennis. I'm not sure I've seen somebody quite reversed public perception as quickly as Medvedev. But I think part of this is his game's not really obvious. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure there, there's an easy way to break him down. I'm not sure there's a sl sophomore slump coming because everyone's figured out Medvedev. I, I think there's still a lot of mystery to uh, to his game. Yeah, uh, so Sitsipas was funny because he, he, after Shanghai last week, uh, like you said, it, it, his comments just showed that you're right, people have not figured him out because – he was very frustrated by him. He, he basically said, like, he's just boring. It's just boring when we play, like, you know, and <laughs> it's just he, like you could tell he was just kind of frustrated and oh, annoyed. This guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think he's now lost, you know, fi all five of his 
matches against Medvedev. So it's just um, it's interesting. I mean, I I, I think it's funny. Uh, he is now tired, um, and he you know he pulled out because of of fatigue. But as you said, you you kind of go down his um, on his records and wins, losses, and activity here. And I you mean, have it in front of you because he did not do particularly well in between. I think it was a Luca Pui match. I mean, he didn't do particularly well between the French. And Wimbledon either. There was very little to suggest. I mean, granted, different services, but there was very little to suggest this incredible right. run was so, coming. So, like, it goes from, you know, he loses in the first round, he loses in the second round. Um, right before Wimbledon, he, he makes the semis. Uh, and then, you I remember know. Remember Gilles Simone, maybe? Yes. I'm doing this off the top yes. of my head. Yes, but, uh, very good. <laughs> uh, and then after that, as you Boom. said, I mean, then it's finals, 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 either wins or losses. Kyrgios, Nadal, Gofan, Nadal again at the U.S. Open, Borna Korik in St. Petersburg, and then just now in Shanghai. So it's uh, it's nice inc- it's incredible, um, and that you you understand why he's a little tired and a little fatigued. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I mean, we've seen it with um, uh, Dominic Team just kind of being burnt out from playing so many matches and everything, and I think. You know, someone like him, you look at his, you know, record and, and how he was playing at the beginning of the year, I'm sure he didn't imagine to be playing this often. You know, maybe he had right. already had slated all these tournaments, but in his mind, he's out on Thursday, Wednesday, already heading off to, uh, you know, the next tournament, That's the next destination. Point. So I think um, he has to be careful and kind of take care of his body a little bit at this point because playing – Week after week after week, uh, and 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 all the travel. I don't think when he, you know, lost to Djokovic in in the fourth round in Australia last January that he was thinking, oh man, this is going to be a big year. Right. So probably a good time for some reflection and schedule adjustments uh, once he. It's funny when you you look back at some of these matches and you say, yeah, he took a set off of Djokovic in Australia and probably gave Djokovic his his toughest match. You said, boy, that kid really hung in there with Djokovic and went backhand to backhand with him. Um, that's a nice win for Djokovic now, looking back. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Nick, Nick Kyrgios beating Medvedev on hard courts in, uh, in the D.C. final. That's a great win for Kyrgios. And we've seen players get hot in the fall before. I mean, two, two years ago, it was Grigor Dimitrov. It was, it was Varev. We've seen David Gofan have, have some nice falls. This seems different. I mean, this guy's going to win 60 matches on the year. His you know, next tournament, he's going to go over $7 million in prize money. He's won four titles. This really seems like in ascension and not a player on a hot streak. Um, and I, you know, and, and again, I, I would stand by that. I, I think he has now surpassed, you know, whoever we can have this conversation with Zverev would probably be the, the obvious answer, but uh, I think this guy is now the best player never to have won a major. And he came within a couple games right. of, of doing so in his first final against Nadal on the other side of the court. Um, what else? We, we've got a little bit of off the court news. I think the, the ATP uh, CEO search is uh, wrapping up. Um, I, this is, uh, get some insider info. I I gotta be, (laughs) I I wanna be a a little careful here because this is still sort of on the speculation. I hear, uh, came very close to, um, a female candidate, which, uh, would have been, would have been very interesting. I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, I hear there, there is instead a former player, which is interesting. You have, uh, uh, a search committee, and you talk. I mean, I know there were there were a number of really heavy hitters in sports that were at least kicking the tires and interested in the job. It's a very very tough job. We've talked about this before, which is just a, a function of governance and the corporate structure. Interesting to me that uh, a, a former player would be the person that uh, is apparently very likely to get this 
position. I suspect that former player has really reassured the tournament that uh, he will not be a, a player's rubber stamp because this is the the age old issue of that that difficult position and sort of the the fraught composition of of the board. Um, the USTA also will soon be naming Gordon Smith's replacement. Um, always this dance, Jamie, of do you get an insider and someone who really knows tennis but may not have had a lot of exposure to, to other sports and maybe uh, a little bit too siloed, or do you get an outsider with, with broad experience um, but who may not understand the, the intricacies and relationships of tennis? I, I, I tell the story before of uh, the, there was a WTA CEO a few years ago who came from from outside, and I remember they sort of, would you like to talk to him? Yes, we had, we had a very nice conversation. At one point he said, I, I can never keep it straight. Is, is Indian Wells, that's the one in California, right? And I'm just thinking, oh boy, if you haven't <laughs> differentiated Indian Wells and Key Biscayne, there is a lot of tennis minutia right. that could bite you in the ass. Um, I, I think the USTA, as I understand it, they're trying to sort of trying to split the difference, and I, I think they may not have uh, an internal candidate from White Plains, but they also have someone with with some familiarity to tennis, which sounds smart. But th- this is something tennis wrestles with all the time. Do you do you find an administrator who comes from the outside world who a could very easily get frustrated at tennis and its quirks and its vocabulary and all the different alphabet soups also is probably a bigger flight risk? Or do you pick an insider who's really conversant and familiar to the sport but may not have that broader broader experience? Yeah, no, I think it's tough because I think the insider uh, probably has waded in the waters of tennis's mm-hmm. conflicts, which are uh, just abound. So <laughs> I... I'm a little bit partial to an outsider because I think the quirks and the understanding that Indian Wells is not in Miami uh, is is something that can almost be in a handbook. And a smart, you know, very experienced person can sit down and, you know, maybe they, they make one comment like that and then they hit the books and uh, start to figure out all those little quirks right. and everything. Um, and I think that... If if you know if you're if you're that serious you you want to figure out and you kind of uh, just adjust to all the little things and you look at you you're a good example you're, yeah you're no I of, uh, you've you've picked all this up in a, a, a blinding amount of time I just think it's uh it's what makes the sport tick in 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 ways that are so different and we, as we talk about and compare it to you know as we sit in this room with uh, LeBron and uh, That's you know a good point. we need some tennis imagery in here. <laughs> soccer players and and football fields on the wall uh, you know so it's it's always interesting but um, well you know it's good to find the balance but I think an outsider um, might be. A little bit better of a choice. Yeah, that's I mean, just my p- part, opinion. No, I, th- I think that's really Maybe smart. Maybe I'm biased. Um, no, I think that's smart. I mean, I think p- part of it is the candidate, and part of it also is a culture willing to work with a candidate who brings in some other expertise. I mean, this happens all the time where someone comes in, oh, I'm going to shake this up, and we need to have you know a, a backdraw so that the stars are guaranteed at least two matches. We need to have you know double elimination in tournaments. And everybody says that's that's crazy, and that idea gets drummed out. Yeah. Um, so some of this is about the candidate, but some of this is about the culture willing to experiment and take some risks. Um, all right, that um, let's 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 do a cocoa check before we sign off here, shall we? Um, uh, Anna Blinkova is your winner, six four six zero. Nice win for uh, Anna Blinkova. I suspect um, is Coco Goff still. It's, She's still in the doubles, so uh, still a, a chance to leave the tournament on an up note. I suspect that will be her last sanctioned match of 2019 for Coco. Still, overall, very strong season, and uh, now she's got some downtime, which is probably good physically and also spiritually, and 
We don't have to worry about wild cards. She is uh, squarely into the main draw of the Australian Open. I suspect uh, that's where we will see her next. Yeah, I'm sure she'll be, uh, her and her parents will be getting lots of phone calls over that downtime. So yeah, exactly. We'll, uh, uh, we'll, we may or may not be hearing of uh, some sponsorships and partnerships and lots of different things uh, over the course before before January. She's headed to the Bahamas, that we know. <laughs> um, all right, that does it. Uh, just some scattered tennis chat. I um, believe I'm in Europe next week, but maybe we can do this via Skype. Uh, Jamie, thanks. Pleasure, as always. Thanks. Love talking tennis. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm John Wertheim. She's Jamie Lasanti. Uh, keep your guest suggestions coming, and um, we will have another podcast next week. Uh, you can download, leave a review, leave us a rating, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. You can subscribe there as well. Uh, have a good week, everyone.